Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Missio podcast. We are in our series, which is called Encounters with Jesus. And we are going to be looking at a story about actually Jesus's mother, Mary, and this encounter that she has with an angel that then leads to her being pregnant with Jesus. And this really cool interaction that takes place between them and this prayer that Mary prays um, afterwards. It's such a great story. So let's dig in. We're going to look at Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to read this for us because it's a lot of a lot of things going on. But we're going to start in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, How can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, so the baby to be born will be holy and will be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month, for the word of God will never fail. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. And we're going to jump down to verse 46 and following. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of, this lowly, of his lowly servant girl, and from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy, and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. This is the word of God from Luke chapter 1. And again, we're in this Encounters with Jesus series. And so again, we're looking at this story of Mary having this encounter with an angel. And this angel is about to tell her, look, you're going to have a baby and his, he's going to be the son of God and you're going to name him Jesus. And so this is a story that we're looking at. You know, but over the last few months and really over the last couple of years, I've been reading and listening to people who are generally considered to be more of the marginalized voices, especially in the Christian world, uh, and just trying to hear their perspective of God. From people like Esau McCauley and Jamar Tisby, or people like Kristen Dumay and Robin D'Angelo, or from people like John Dixon, who is an Australian theologian who wrote a book called Bullies and Saints. All of these people you know, haven't been the typical writers or thinkers that I necessarily grew up listening to or reading. And it's not that I'm trying to minimize the people that I grew up hearing or listening to and what they had to say about God and a life of faith. I honestly owe so much of my own faith to, the, to so many of those people. 
But there's something uniquely important about listening to people who have been traditionally marginalized in our Christian world. To hear what they have to say about God and about church, about faith, and then to allow the richness of their words to challenge our assumptions and sometimes our expectations of Jesus. You know, we've sometimes missed voices of people who either we intentionally or unintentionally overlook for a variety of reasons. You know, there was this really amazing experience that I had last Easter. I have a group of friends, all of whom are in the military and all of them who at the, at the time were working at the uh, JBLM, the Lewis McCord Base in Tacoma. And so several of them are Catholic. And, and one of those friends, he lives, lived in Tacoma and he invited me down to his, his church's uh, Good Friday Mass. And I had never been to a Catholic Good Friday Mass, and so when I got there, people were everywhere. And, and we went through this long service where I had to follow my, my friend's lead of kneeling and praying and then sitting back and trying to figure out what they were uh, saying in the prayers. A lot of it was in Latin. And then we participated in this thing called the Stations of the Cross, which is a way for the priest to kind of guide the people through the moments of Jesus's journey to the cross. And it, was, it had such an impact. It, there, was, there was such an impactful moment for me because I had never experienced the ritual observation of Jesus's journey to the cross like that before. There were certainly moments that I felt uncomfortable because I just didn't know what was happening. I didn't know... I didn't speak Latin, so I didn't know what it was saying, and some of it was really stretching for me. But I had a moment where I remember being overwhelmed with a sense that God was a part of that moment with all of us in that space, that God was there. You know, we often miss the presence of God in things when they feel different or unfamiliar. And we often miss Jesus' intentional words to us when they come from places that we don't expect or anticipate. But what if we started listening more to people and when they share their experiences of their encounters with Jesus? How would that shape us as followers of Jesus? So I want you to imagine, just picture this this young Jewish girl who was betrothed to be married and an angel shows up one day and tells her she is going to give birth to the Son of God. I mean, that's already enough pressure as it is, but there is even more here than just a feeling of, of, being, of having the pressure of being told that you're going to raise God's son, which I imagine was difficult. If you guys remember, we looked at a, an encounter with Jesus a couple of weeks ago at the wedding of Cana. And we talked about how wedding, Jewish weddings could last up to seven days. But there were really two marriages that would take place in, in ancient Jewish weddings. First, they would become betrothed, which legally meant that they were married to the, the, the groom and the bride were legally married, but the bride would go back and live with her family for at least another year and sometimes even more until the father would say she was ready to then go and do the second marriage, which is what we looked at at the wedding at Cana, where they have this seven-day feast and celebration and ceremony that would then be the point where the bride and groom would go and begin living their lives together. And so it's during this year or more period of time between these two marriages, where Mary is not living with Joseph, but still technically married to him, that this angel approaches her and tells her she is going to be with child and that child would be Jesus. 
And obviously this would have been a scandalous thing at the time. And Joseph would have assumed that if Mary was pregnant, that, you know, it was by some other man. And, and Mary was going to have to say, no, it was God. And I'm sure Joseph probably had a hard time <laughs> buying into that as well. But it even went deeper than just being told that she would raise God's son, which is difficult enough as it is, right? And that she would have to then tell Joseph that the baby was God's and not some other man's, right? And there's already, there's a ton of tension and a lot of difficulties in this story for this young Jewish girl, but, but there was more to it. The real problem for Mary was the manner in which the angel Gabriel addresses her at this very beginning moment. See, Gabriel appears to Mary and says, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. Okay, this seems pretty innocent, right? And nothing to be upset about, but it hit Mary hard in a lot of her assumptions about herself and where she came from. You know, of all the moments where an angel meets a human face-to-face in Scripture, this is the only moment where an angel addresses and greets a human in this way. And the specific Greek word that is used here to say favored one is only used twice in all of Scripture, here and in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6. And both times they refer to God giving his grace and his favor. But this is the only moment where a person is given the title of favored one like this. And so it's not as if God is saying, I'm about to give you, Mary, my grace and my favor. He's saying to her, you are, by title and who you are, you are favored and filled with grace. There was a couple of weeks back, uh, again, we looked at this encounter with Jesus and this man named Nathaniel. And Nathaniel hears that the Messiah is from Nazareth and he says, yeah, right, nothing good can come from Nazareth. And if you had listened to, the, to that teaching uh, from several weeks ago, I was telling a story about a couple that I know who are moving to Mount George, Arkansas to plant a church. And it's this town that he grew up in. And he said, look, everyone in that small, poor, rural town believed that nothing good comes from Mount George. You know, but there are things that we hear about ourselves that we come to believe then about ourselves, don't we? When I was working at the victim support team with the Seattle Police Department, we would hear story after story of women who believed that they didn't deserve anything but violence and abuse. You know, because abusers are really good at making people believe that they're unworthy, that they're not valuable, and that they're weak. And so just imagine Mary, this young woman living in a town that the entire region believes to be the scum or, uh, of, of Israel, so much so, in fact, that people are calling it the place where nothing good can come from. And then this angel shows up to Mary and says, greetings, which was the traditional way that people would greet each other in, ancient, in the ancient world. But then he says, you are favored by God himself. And he uses a word that, that nobody has used in, in, in all of the encounters between angels and people. I mean, does that bring you comfort? Or do you think that it would cause you to recall all the moments when everyone else said that you weren't enough, that you didn't measure up? You know, when I would show up on these scenes of a police crime, a domestic violence crime in Seattle, we were trained to, to state over and over, this isn't your fault. You don't deserve this. 
Because for countless women, this may have been the first time that they had heard something like that in, in who knows how long. You know, and we don't know all of Mary's full story. Scripture doesn't allow us to fully see into how she grew up and all the things that she would have heard. But we do know from the rest of the story of Jesus that she was living in the margins, seen probably as this penniless girl, not worth very much, that, that came from the place where nothing good comes from. And hearing that she was favored by God didn't bring her comfort. It brought her fear. I mean, look at what the angel tells her next. The angel says, do not be afraid, Mary. But she wouldn't have to say that if he didn't see, obviously, that she was afraid in this moment. He says, don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. And the Messiah, the Savior of the world, is going to be born through you. But see, I think it makes sense that she is feeling this sense of conflict inside of her. All of these things are are swirling around her head. And then the angel goes on to tell her five things about Jesus. He says, hey, Jesus is going to be great. He's going to be called son of the most high. The Lord will give him the throne of David. The son's reign will last forever. And the reign of the Messiah will form a kingdom that will never end. And so I feel like as if she's not freaking out enough, now she has this expectation of raising a man who is going to do all these things, knowing that she is from the place and so will he be from this place where everyone believes that nothing good can come from there. So then she asks the, the obvious question next. How is this going to happen, right? I'm a virgin. And the angel says, well, by the power of God, you're going to be with child. And so after all of these conflicting feelings and thoughts and fears are swirling around in her head, look at what she says at the end of that first section. Look at how Mary responds to the uncertainty, to the fear, and to the ambiguity. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Okay, we need to pause here and just talk about how this is an encounter with Jesus, right? Jesus hasn't yet been born, but I want you to notice a couple of things before we move on to Mary's prayer, which is going to be awesome. It's an incredible prayer. But I want you to notice a couple of things. Nothing good can come from here or come from there is the way that humanity sees the margins of society, the poor, the oppressed, the young. It is not the way that God sees them. See, God could have chosen anyone, but he chooses Mary. And we're going to see a bit of a window into the truth of God in Mary's prayer in just a few minutes. But we have to notice that God sees people differently than, than we do at times. And see, every bit of me longs to see people the way that God does, and yet so often I fail and I falter, but my prayer will remain, God, give me eyes to see people like you. And so first, I want you to see how this encounter brought a sense that Jesus sees and believes in people who are on the margins of society, people that we sometimes pass over as inadequate. But the second part before we move on is that people need to hear the goodness of God in their lives. That they are loved, they are chosen, they are longed for, worthy and valued beyond what is normal in our world. The people outside of Nazareth were content to allow people in Nazareth, like Mary, to believe what they heard about themselves. 
but that is not what God had spoken to them. And it can never be what we speak to people. As followers of Jesus, we speak the goodness of God into people. We remind them of their worth, of their value, of the fact that they were, are longed for and loved. And the people and the life and ministry of Jesus is going to continue this movement of God of reminding people of who they are. People who are seen and known by God. Okay, so that was the first part of this interaction and this encounter between Jesus and this angel. And then there's this next part, and this next part is Mary's prayer. And we're not going to be able to explore every part of this prayer. I, I hope someday we can walk through this in a little bit more uh, intention uh, over the course of a couple of weeks because it's beautiful. But as I was reading about this prayer and studying this prayer, it just really rocked me. It is a deeply profound prayer to God from the depths of Mary's being. And in the prayer, she uses the Psalms as a way to describe what she has come to discover about God. And so again, remember... The Psalms in the ancient world, in ancient Judaism, were the ways that they would declare who God was to one another. And so she's using a couple of Psalms in these moments to just say, this is what I have come to discover about who God is. And so she starts off this prayer in what is now considered a very famous way. It's called the Magnificat. And it says, uh, um, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowly state of his servant. Again, remember, Nazareth, nothing good, right? Even though this, but even this word that Mary uses, servant, would have implied essentially an indentured servant. She sees her position as holy and truly low. A position that would never demand a visit by a king or a ruler, much less the creator of the universe, the creator of all things. And I was reading this last week about this prayer, and one of the, the, the people that I was reading mentioned that 20th century literature of oppression, from things like the Holocaust to anti-slavery and to the civil rights literature, express a depth of understanding of God's presence within the marginalized spaces that I, here in 2022, tend to struggle to fully understand as a middle-class white male. You know, that there are places of theology and understanding the nature of God that I struggle to fully grasp and yet need to hear and listen to because it shows the places that God has entered into that for, the, for most of my life I have simply been untouched by. And in this moment, Mary may not have been an oppressed slave, but she was in a place on the margins of society and suddenly becomes pregnant, knowing that the baby wasn't Joseph's, which would have caused all sorts of assumptions and scandals. And see, when you start to unpack the depth of Mary's context, it becomes more clear how this prayer reaches down further into her heart and into a space with the presence of God that I have rarely gone to in my life. And I don't want you to hear me say that in order to experience an undeniable sense of God's presence that we have to either hit rock bottom or we have to experience the most difficult challenges in life. But rather, no, we should pay attention, pay more attention when the marginalized people around us or in the world speak from the depths of their being about the presence of God with them. Because maybe they will speak to something about God that we don't yet know, but one day may encounter. You know, I think the people around Mary would have heard this prayer and perhaps thought she was crazy. 
Like, do you remember when Hannah prays in the Old Testament? Hannah prayed for a son and God gives her Samuel and she's praying in the temple. And she's, you know, this incredible moment that is also recorded in the scripture. And Eli, the priest, sees her and hears her and thinks that she is drunk. See, Mary is speaking from a depth of humility, shocked at the nature of God being the kind of God who, who not only sees her, but knows her by name and calls her favored and then instills within her the gift of life to humanity. And see, the beginning of this prayer reaches to a place within Mary where the only thing she knows to say is my soul. And when she's saying that, she's saying my entire being, every ounce of who I am magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Father. And I just imagine her singing it to God as if he's sitting right there next to her because he was. See, sometimes the challenges that we face cause us to feel the depths of our being. Our hearts and our minds, our, our very souls wrestle in the moment of challenge. And the truth is, if we allow him to, God wants to meet us right there in those depths. And then he wants to show himself in a way that honestly we can't see in any, any other moment. And perhaps we won't notice it right away. But there will be moments when we can look back and we will be able to see him and notice it. And this is the place that Mary is praying and singing from. So her prayer then transitions to this incredible reversal narrative that Jesus himself will later teach about and live out in his ministry. And so this hymn, this prayer, is not a prayer about the proud, but of the powerless. Not of a world fully controlled and determined by human powers, but overturned by divine engagement. Mary sees God as the deliverer of the poor and oppressed. God turns himself toward compassion, which again, remember, compassion is seeing the suffering of others and stepping into it, trying to help people find a way out. Mary's prayer reverses every religious protocol and expectation in the world. God, who is high, becomes low. He sees human need and initiates revolution that reorders reality. God intercedes on behalf of a lowly woman and calls her blessed and favored. God gives mercy to those who fear him and scatters the strong and the proud and the rich while filling the hungry and needy with all good things. This prayer of Mary is both a spiritual and a physical truth of God's desire to reverse the expectations of humanity regarding so much, from how we live and treat others to how we see ourselves and engage in relationship with other people. And all of this incredible picture and depth of understanding of God and his work came from a person that would have normally been written off and told to go away. Sometimes we can understand and, and begin to see the depths of God's love for people by listening to people who maybe we wouldn't have before. By listening to the voice of the marginalized and the oppressed. Jesus' mother was a rock star of faith. And not because she, be, she, she you know, came from the right place or the, had the right status or whatever, but because she chose to trust and believe in God in a season of her life that would have been so difficult for her to do so. And this encounter is one that would shape so much of who she was moving forward, but would also lay the foundation for how Jesus then would share the intention and mission of God to the world. 
I mean, what an amazing, amazing encounter. And what an amazing prayer that Mary prays in this moment. Well, thank you for listening and thank you for being a part of Missio Church. I'll see you next week. Bye, everyone. Thank you.